0: Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the debater as we pick up in Ecclesiastes, chapter 1, verse 1. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck.
1: book of Ecclesiastes begins, The Words of the Preacher. Son of David, king in Jerusalem. So it identifies the author as Solomon. The Hebrew word that is translated preacher is a word that can mean one of the assembly or a debater. And it is determined that the translation preacher is not necessarily a good translation of this Hebrew khalel, that it might be better translated the debater, the words of the debater, the son of David, the king of Jerusalem. He refers to this, and in Ecclesiastes is the only time this Hebrew word is used, and uh, it is in the feminine form, and it is used seven times here as Solomon is referring to himself, and really a debater or one who is searching, the searcher the son of David, the king of Jerusalem. And the book of Ecclesiastes is indeed a search. Vanity of vanities, saith the searcher or the debater. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Now he starts out with the uh, conclusion of his search. After searching through everything, this is his conclusion of life. Now it is important that we note that the book of Ecclesiastes is a book that deals with the natural man searching for meaning in life. The word Jehovah is not used in this book. He does refer to God, the Elohim, but not unto Jehovah, God in the personal sense that a person can know God. But God as a worldly man speaks of God, just a force, a power, a title, the Elohim. Those who truly know God in a personal way know God as Yahweh or as Jesus Christ. But this is that worldly and personal concept of God. As he is searching for the meaning of life, he searches through all kinds of natural experiences, but there is throughout the book the denial of the spiritual. It is putting man on the level of animals. It is looking at man as an animal, and it is trying to find the reason or the purpose for life on the animal plane, and it must follow that life on the animal plane is totally empty. It is totally frustrating. Looking at life on the animal plane sees man as an animal possessing a consciousness and a body. But the spirit is not related to God. So man as an animal is aware and conscious of his body needs. And he is living to seek to satisfy his body needs. And a person who lives on the body level Seeking to only satisfy his body needs, denying the spiritual aspect of his nature is going to end up ultimately with this feeling of emptiness and frustration. The word vanity literally means that which vanishes. It's nothing. You go to get it and it vanishes. It's not there. It's an emptiness. The vexation of spirit is that frustration of the spirit. Now, man is a threefold being, and one of the problems of our whole educational system today is the denial of the spiritual nature of man. Our whole humanistic educational system, embracing the evolutionary theory, sees man as a highly developed form of animal existence. So it sees man as a highly developed animal living in a body, possessing a consciousness. And the denial of the spirit is the basic flaw in the educational system. For unless you see man as a threefold being, unless you see man with his spiritual nature, then you are going to only have life on the Human level, a life that is filled with emptiness and frustration. So we have today men who make excellent livelihoods trying to help people deal with their frustrations because people feel that life is worthless, life is not worthwhile, life is empty, life is meaningless. And and they just feel despairing and and discouraged and despondent. They they go to someone who just talks to them about life, and they pay money to try to understand why it is that I feel like life is just not worth living and all, you know. Well, that's because you haven't come into the third dimension of life, life on the spiritual plane. There is where life takes meaning. It all comes back to the threefold nature of man living in a body, I have certain body needs. God created the body. Marvelous instrument. Fantastically designed. With my little hypothalamus and my pituitary and the various glands that are excreting the different chemicals into my system that give me my different feelings, numbing my pains or uh, telling me that I'm thirsty as it is monitoring my... Uh, blood system telling me that I need oxygen and, and all of these functions that are going on in the body. Keeping the balance, the hemostasis. For the body balance is important. It's important that I have enough sugar. It's important that I have uh, enough oxygen. It's important that I have all of these things within the body. So this body balance, my body drives. My air drive, my thirst drive, my hunger drive, my bowel and bladder drive, my sex drives. All of these have been created by God, a part of the body in which I live. But I also have a consciousness. And in the area of my consciousness, there are also needs, drives. I have a need for security, I have a need for love, I have a need to be needed these sociological drives. Now, that's about as far as your psychologists and sociologists take you. But what they are denying in the denial of the spiritual nature of man, they are denying the fact that there is deep down inside of me, in my spirit, in this part of my nature, a drive that also exists. And this drive in my spirit is for God. My spirit Thirst after thee, O God, David said. As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. There is within man that desire to know God, that desire to have fellowship with God. There is within man a vacuum that only God can fill. And if you deny the spiritual nature of man, then man can never be satisfied because this deep down spiritual thirst will always be haunting him, telling him there's something more, there's something more, there's something more. And I feel this dissatisfaction with life. I have a thirst that I can't define. I know it's there. I know that life hasn't yet brought me fulfillment. I know there's got to be more than to life than what I've yet experienced. And I have this frustration. And this is what Solomon went through. That's what he is describing. Emptiness, emptiness. All is empty and frustrating. He's talking, and the phrase is used some nine times, life under the sun. It is a frustrating existence Now according to the psychologist Frustration leads to inferiority complex Which is the rationale by which I explain to myself Why I still feel unfulfilled and empty Why is it that I'm not satisfied? Why is it that I've not been able to achieve and attain that which I feel There must be and I say, well, if I only had a better education then, if I only had more money, if I only were better looking, if I only had hair, <laughs> and I am explaining to myself why I haven't been able to achieve this some intangible something that I, that I know must be there in life. That somehow is passing me by and I can't quite grasp. And so I feel this emptiness because I can't quite get hold of it. And I'm explaining to myself in the inferiority complex the shortcoming that causes me not to be able to grasp that which I know must be there. Now this in turn leads to escapes. I feel the emptiness. I feel this dissatisfaction. I feel that there must be more to life than what I've yet experienced. I can't seem to find it, and so I'm going to escape. And I can escape overtly or invertly. In the inverted escapes, I escape within myself. I start building walls around myself. I get to where I don't want to open up to people. I start closing off myself from people. I don't want them to know the truth about me that I know about myself. So I make this facade, and and I project this image, and they see this out here, but they don't know the real me. I'm not going to let them get through to know the real me. And more and more, I get within myself. More and more, I begin to disassociate myself from people. In its final form, it's manifested as, as a hermit, a man who just goes out and lives in the desert by himself. So he doesn't have to see people talk to people, nothing to do with people. That's, that's the extreme form of escapism in the inverted way. Or if I go to overt escape mechanisms, I may go to compulsive eating behavior patterns. start eating all the time. Am escaping? Or I might become a compulsive gambler, or I might turn to drinking, or I might turn to drugs. Or I might look to a variety of sex experiences. All escaping or nomadism. Start moving from job to job or from place to place. Oh, if I were just in San Francisco, that's where I'd be happy. Oh, I just lived in Hawaii. It's interesting, more suicides in Hawaii than almost any place else because you get over there and where can you go? (laughs) You know, this is it. This is paradise. This is heaven on earth. But the problem is, you had to take yourself. And the same emptiness is that you feel here, you feel there. And you find out that Hawaii didn't do it. It didn't satisfy. It didn't meet that deep cry that is within you. If it's not here, it's nowhere. Emptiness, emptiness. Now, when a person gets into these escape patterns, it develops a guilt complex. Because I know I shouldn't be eating like this. Why do I eat like this? I hate myself looking so fat. Why do I eat these chocolates? <laughs> you know, I can't stop. But yet, I'm escaping and I, and I get guilty. I start feeling guilty over the things that I'm doing. I know it's not right. I know it's not helping. I know it's destroying me. I know it's destroying my family or my relationships. But... I can't seem to quit. It has a hold on me. And so I'm feeling guilty. And the guilt complex then leads to a subconscious desire for punishment. It goes inward then and underground. And I can't follow it at this point from the conscious level, but subconsciously I get a desire for punishment and I start a neurotic behavior pattern that will bring punishment to me and neurotic behavior patterns usually stem from a subconscious desire for punishment i've been i'm feeling guilty over what i've been doing i want someone to punish me so that i can feel like i'm not guilty anymore now when you were a child your parents took care of your neurotic behavior patterns and they took you in and spanked you the healthiest thing in the world for you psychologically because it made you feel free of your guilt i've been punished There's something about the guilt that I desire punishment in order that I might be freed from that feeling of guilt. Once I've been punished, then I feel, oh, I'm innocent now. I'm free from the guilt feelings because I've been punished. I'm free to go back to my frustration and start the cycle over again to my inferiority complex, to my escape, to my guilt, to my punishment, (laughs) to my frustration. And so life moves in a cycle. And, and Solomon will point out here in a little bit the cycles as we get in the first part of the chapter here. They're just, life seems to move in cycles. And this, according to psychologists, is the cycle of life. And you think, my God, is this all there is? Stop this crazy merry-go-round. I want off. I'm tired of it. And that's what Solomon came to vanity, vanity, all is vanity and frustrating. And it all comes from the denial of the spiritual nature of man. It is living life on the human plane apart from God. For the gospel of Jesus Christ comes into this cycle. And the gospel of Jesus Christ comes to me. Now, when I'm in the neurotic behavior pattern, it is so often that People say, hey, man, you better go see a shrink. You're, you're crazy. You're, you're doing nutty things. You better get some help. And so I go to a head shrink, and he sits me on the couch, and he gives me a series of tests, and he seeks to determine what I'm feeling guilty about. And then he starts to talk to me. Now, when you were a little boy, did your mother tell you that you shouldn't tell lies And did she teach you that it was wrong to cheat? Well, you see, these are a part of the old Puritan ethic. They're part of the old Victorian system, and everything is really relative. You've got to face the fact that there are certain situations in which it is perfectly proper to tell a lie. You shouldn't feel guilty about this, you see. And he tries to remove your guilt by telling you that it's not wrong. It's not guilty. Everybody's doing it. So you've just got to join the crowd and realize that the part of that old Puritan ethic by which you were trained is the thing that's your hang-up today. But Jesus Christ comes to me and says, hey, man, you are guilty. That's bad news. That's wrong. But I love you. And I took your guilt and bore your guilt when I died on the cross. I took all of your sins, all of your guilt, and I paid the penalty for it. Now, if you'll just believe in me and trust in me, I'll forgive you. Hey, that's something no psychologist can do, is totally erase that guilt feeling. Take away this haunting feeling of guilt. But Jesus Christ and the gospel does. It's the greatest thing in the world for removing the guilt complex. If that's all the gospel did, it would be fantastic but it does much more than that. It comes back to the very beginning frustration where it all started. And we hear Jesus on the last day of the great day of the feast as he is standing there in the temple mount crying to the crowds, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. For he who drinks of the water that I give Out of his innermost being there will flow rivers of living water. And John said, this spake he of the Spirit. That third dimension of man, that man in his educational processes today is seeking to deny and by his denial has created all of this confusion in our society today. All of the frustration that people experience results from the denial of the spirit. And Jesus is saying, you have a thirst for God in your spirit. Come to me. Come to me and drink. And so this frustration where the whole thing started, Jesus comes to me and not only does he fill my life, does he fill that spiritual void But he keeps pouring in until it begins to pour out from me. And my life is no longer just a sponge, thirsty, seeking to grasp or to draw. But my life now begins to flow out with that love and that grace of God's goodness that he has bestowed upon me. And now, as David said, my cup runneth over. My life is an overflowing cup. No longer going around with this, cry and thirst and frustration within but now the, fulfill, the fulfillment and the fullness of God within my life as my life overflows with God's goodness and grace. So you look at life on just the human level as Solomon is looking at it. You look at man like an animal as Solomon does. You deny the spiritual dimension of man that which places him apart from animals and above the animal kingdom. And you're opening Pandora's box to all kinds of psychological ills. You're opening to a life that can never be filled, a life of vanity and vexation of spirit. And so we are looking now through the eyes of Solomon at the world under the sun, apart from God, Man on the animal plane and man at the highest on the animal plane is hopeless. It is not until you interject the spiritual plane and bring man into the divine plane that man can have any hope for a fulfilling, enriching,
0: complete life. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Ecclesiastes on our next broadcast, as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Ecclesiastes 1 when visiting the thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast, or sign up for our email subscription.
1: Live after the Spirit. Walk after the Spirit. Follow after the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Therefore, little man examine himself. For if we will judge ourselves, then we will not be judged of God. For I speak to you in the name of the Lord. If you are living and walking after the flesh and indulging in the areas and the things of the flesh, God will bring you into judgment. It will destroy you. You need to walk after the Spirit and make God guide and help you. In Jesus' name.
0: This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California.
1: It is my great pleasure to present Pastor Chuck's commentary on the Book of Acts. The Acts of the Apostles is an open-ended book. Jesus continues, even to the present day, to work in the lives of people throughout the world through those who have been empowered by the Holy Spirit.
0: This book also includes a special foreword written by Pastor John Corson. We studied the Book of Acts, but we never saw the Book of Acts but we were seeing the moving of the Holy Spirit. Calvary Chapel family, may you always be known as a people who pray in Jesus' name, that it would be Jesus Christ, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. May the Jesus movement, continue on.
1: To order a copy of Pastor Chuck's book, The Acts Commentary, please call The Word for Today at 1-800-272-9673 or visit us online to read a sneak preview of the book by visiting thewordfortoday.org.